welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Great to be here with you this evening. For those that were here last week, I trust like me that you uh, were really, really just so blessed by what took place. It was just a real privilege to be a part of a wedding service uh, here in our service, in our, in our normal church service. It was excellent. And uh, certainly, just, it was just such a privilege to be, um, well, from up here, from my perspective, just to hear the reception that Matt and Debbie got as they come up here, and, and just for them to be thinking of their family and friends who were here, um, they sort of took this front little corner over here, and, and just to think of, here's some people, they're thinking, mate, these guys are, do they know this many people? Do this many people think so fondly of them? I just thought that, that's amazing. That's why the church should be, that this, these guys have truly found a family. So well done to you for your awesome response last week. That was great. As Tones mentioned, we are in the midst of a series called Sweet Relationships. We're up to part six. So far, we've had a look at sweet foundations. We've looked at sweet resolution. We've looked at sweet talk, sweet love, sweet forgiveness. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to tell you anything about those messages other than that they were all great and all very much worth a listen if you haven't heard them uh, yet. And so we'd encourage you to go to the website and download those so you can have a listen. That would be excellent. Um, before I go any further, I just want to just pray for us that, uh, we would, that, that God would help us to take on board what I've got to share tonight. All right? So Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here and just to share some words tonight. Very mindful of the fact that I'm going to share a limited number of words and there's a multitude of situations and circumstances tonight that will be applicable to. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help unpack these things, that they might be relevant and personal to every person here tonight. Whether they know you, whether they don't, whether life is awesome or whether life is challenging at the moment, God, do something wonderful through your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. Well, tonight, part six, we are looking at a message which is entitled Sweet Boundaries. And I want to start by reading Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6 to you, because I think it's a bit of a key to us with regards to this subject of boundaries. And it simply says this, it's David, King David in the Old Testament speaking or writing. And he says this to God, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And the thing I first just want to initially comment about that is just that God has established boundary lines and parameters in our lives. And if we understand what they are, if we can somehow find out what those parameters and boundary lines are and we can live within them, I believe that our lives can be blessed. I believe that our lives can be protected. I believe that our lives can be done with a positive outlook. When we stick outside of those boundary lines, I believe that's where we come into problems. And so tonight I want to have a look at this subject of boundaries. It may be a term that you've heard before. It may not be, but I want to have a look at how it applies to our life. Okay, this whole idea that there are parameters with which we can, which we can live within. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about tonight is defining our boundaries. What is a boundary? Well, a boundary is really just, a, it indicates an outer limit. Okay, so you can have boundaries on a whole bunch of things. You can have boundaries at home that might limit or, or, or define the extent of your property, okay, your real estate, your home. You might have uh, boundaries that, uh, perhaps at work, that sort of de- demarcate your um, areas of responsibility. 
Okay, so you're the boss in a certain area and that, you know, you, what you say goes, but if you step into another area, no one's going to listen to you because you don't have authority in that particular area. So there's boundaries with that. There's boundaries with regards to sphere of influence. Paul talks about the, 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 uh, the mission field that God assigned to him in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 13 or thereabouts, verse 10. It talks about, you know, God has assigned us a mission, a field of ministry. And so, you know, when he was in that sphere... Obviously, that's the place that he's going to be fruitful. That's the place he's going to be able to have the grace to do what he needs to do. But if he steps outside of that, he's treading on other people's toes. He's going where God doesn't want him to be. He becomes outside of the will of God. Boundaries also might declare safe zones or unsafe zones. Okay, so that's the general concept of boundaries. Boundaries can be, I guess, physical. If you think about like a fence, you know, around a school or a home or some other place, um, it's, it's a physical boundary, a, f- a physical barrier. Keeps people in, it keeps, people's out, uh, keep, pe- keeps people out. Okay, often there are gates that allow people in those boundaries, the appropriate people in or out of those boundaries. There's societal boundaries, okay, and they take the form of laws. And so, you know, there's boundaries with regarding to how fast you can drive and whose property you can go on when and, you know, how we do life. Those things are prescribed to us and they're boundaries that we have to live by or within. And then finally, and this is probably the hardest part, is there's personal boundaries. And these personal boundaries apply to us individually. God has assigned us a portion, a lot, an inheritance, a place to live and a space to live and a sphere of influence and all that sort of stuff. And and so that's partly that's his sovereign will for our lives and partly it's dependent um, based on his uh, understanding of who we are and according to our capacities and all that sort of stuff. All right, now, the first two types of boundaries are fairly easy to work out. You know, the physical boundaries, the fences, the trespassers prosecuted, the locked gate. You know, those things are fairly easy to adhere to for most people. Yes, there are some that even can't, you know, they don't get the message, but for the most part, we understand that if a door is locked, it says no admittance, keep out, trespassers prosecuted, we know that that's not where we're to go. If it says danger, do not go beyond this point, or minefield, or something like that, you know, most of us can get the message. That's not where we go. Likewise, you know, the law, we're becoming very, very aware of what the laws are today, more aware than ever before. You know, there's CCTVs, there's red light cameras, there's all sorts of stuff telling us what we can and can't do. There's all sorts of legislation with regards to OH&S, there's all sorts of boundaries are just coming in on us from everywhere. You, you know, everyone's telling you what to do, everyone's telling you what you can't do. It's just, it's very easy to know what you can and can't do these days. Someone's always going to tell you, there's always going to be a sign, there's always going to be a fine arriving or something that says you've done the right thing or whatever, or the wrong thing rather. And so that's kind of fairly easy to do that sort of external stuff. But I think where most people struggle is in the area of the personal boundaries. How and what should I be involved in? Or what should I not be involved in specifically for me? How much energy and how much resources should I put into this venture or should I use over here? Those sort of questions are boundaries questions. Okay, we need to have an understanding of what a boundary is before we can really start to look at those sort of questions and come up with good answers. We need to ask other questions before we ask those questions. And some of the questions we need to ask ourselves are these. And so if you're a Christian or non-Christian here tonight, the first question we need to answer is this, who am I ultimately accountable to? Because that question changes everything. If we are here by a mistake of nature and there is no ultimate accountability, that definitely will affect 
the choices you make in life and the way that you will live. I suggest you go out and have a whole bunch of fun. Do as much as you can in the short time you have here because you haven't got too long. But if on the other hand we are accountable to someone for the choices that we make in this life, that really begins to affect the choices that we need to be making, the boundaries we need to have in place in our life. The second question is, what am I actually responsible for? And thirdly, I think, would be this question, what do I have at my disposal? In other words, talking about our resources, our capacities, our limitations, etc. And so I just want to answer those questions for you to make it real easy tonight, just to save a bit of time, all right? The first one is, I'm accountable to God. Just in case you weren't sure, I'm accountable to God. At the end of the day, I will stand before him and him alone. And I will stand on my own. I won't stand with anyone else and I won't stand on the merits of anyone else other than the person of Jesus Christ, but I will stand on the base of what I've done with my life for me. Who am I responsible for or what am I responsible for? Well, I'm only responsible for myself. I'm not responsible even for sally Ann or for my children. Not responsible for you. I have a responsibility towards you and towards sally Ann, towards my kids. But at the end of the day, I cannot do anything about them other than, you know, speak well, do things well, etc. And hope that all things being equal, they are going to be blessed and, and protected and provided for and all that sort of stuff and have the best possible chance of doing life well. But I can't do life for them. I can only do life for me. So I'm responsible for me and you are responsible for you and you alone. And the third thing I think is interesting is, is this, that I have all I need to live within God's will for my life. Think about that. I have all that I need to live within God's will for my life. In other words, if I can discover his will and live within that, I have everything I possibly need. If I begin to bring things into my experience that are outside of the will of God for me, and I've got limited resources and capacities and all those, so something's going to give. Something has got to be pushed aside or something has to be diminished in some way, shape or form in order to bring those things or in order to go beyond the boundaries that God has got for me. So that's the foundation. There's some of the questions that are foundational. So what am I responsible for in terms of me? Well, I am responsible firstly for discovering and fulfilling my life purpose. No one else can do that for me. I have to find out why I'm here. Every person owes it to themselves to ask that question. What am I doing here? Is God real? If he is, what does he have for me? I'm responsible for my health. And when I say health, I mean spiritually in terms of my relationship with God. I mean physically, my physical well-being, what I eat, exercise, all that sort of stuff comes into it emotionally, relationally, all of these things that pertain to health at any level, my responsibility. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, for example. So as much as it depends on me, it depends on me. I can't be responsible for every person's response to me, but I can be responsible to my response to every person. I'm responsible for my interaction with others. What I say, what I think, my attitudes I adopt... And what I do are my responsibility. Making sense so far? Fairly easy? Good. How well I do these things will be directly related to how well, will depend on how well I've defined my boundaries. So I need to understand there are some things that only I am responsible for. There are some things that only I can do. There are things that only God, that God has called me to do and only me to do. 
if I get married, and I am, <laughs> if you get married, you know, one of the things that comes into your area of responsibility is to be a good husband or wife. The best you can possibly be. If you become a, a parent, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And so you don't get extra days in the hour when those things happen. You don't get extra money necessarily or extra anything else. You've just got to, you've got whatever you've got at your disposal, you've got to make it work as extra responsibilities come into your life. So the second thing, that's just about defining our boundaries. We need to understand what we're responsible for. But then we need to develop our boundaries. Okay, so we're talking about our sphere of influence, um, uh, our relationships and those sort of things. What are our boundaries and how do we define them? Because a boundary, unless it is, or in order to be effective, it needs to be clearly marked. And it needs to be strong enough to do what it needs to do. For example, if I live on a corner block, I remember we had a, on our road, just down the end of our road, we had a corner block, as most people did. And when we were growing up, not too many people had fences. And so on the way to school, everyone just cuts across the corner block. Because that's what you do. There's no clearly marked boundary. It didn't mean there was no boundary. It just meant the boundary was not clearly marked enough for anyone to take any notice of. There were, no doubt, survey pegs in the ground, and if they wanted to, they could get a surveyor out and they could work out exactly where to put a fence, but the fact is they didn't have a fence, and so they had kids just traipsing across their garden all the time, and sometimes across their plants and all that sort of stuff, because the boundary was not clearly defined. You know, you could, you could get away on a technicality. Oh, well, I thought this was council land. You know, you're sort of walking next to their front door. Um, So a boundary needs to be clearly defined and it needs to be effective. In other words, it needs to be effective to do what you need it to do. So in the case of a house, for example, you might want it just to keep people from walking across the the front lawn. So it might just be you have a little garden that's just distinctive enough to let people know, hey, this is my property, this bit of land is cared for, it's not just council property. And that will keep some people out. But the trouble is it may not keep little kids in, so you might need to think about a stronger boundary, a taller boundary, something more significant. Because boundaries are designed to keep people in or out depending on the situation or the circumstances. And our boundaries in life, our personal boundaries, are designed to control the flow of things into and out of our lives. Is this making sense? All right, excellent. So it's not just good enough to know where your survey pegs are, your boundaries, your boundaries, your personal boundaries need to be obvious enough so that people don't walk all over you. And they need to be strong enough to protect you and to protect yours. If people's boundaries are not effective and if they are not obvious, what will happen is they will get walked over. They're going to end up feeling hurt, used, abused, resentful, unforgiving, end up saying they're burnt out and all that sort of stuff. And that, that sort of stuff, when you hear that sort of language, usually it's because people, not because the, the load that God gave them in life was too great, because God says he gives us all that we need for life and godliness, but it means we haven't been wise stewards of what we've had. We've allowed people to take from us who we shouldn't have allowed to take. And perhaps we've taken on board things that we should never have been taking on board. Getting involved in things that God never had for us. And using our energy in places where God never intended us to use up our energy. Using up our finances in places where God never intended for us to use up our finances. And so on and so forth. And I was just thinking about this and I thought about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, Jesus is talking um, about our responsibility to others in a sense. The question comes, who's my neighbour? You know, guy trying to weigh up this whole consequence, this whole uh, question of responsibility, and who do I need to be friendly and kind to, and, and who can I ignore? And so Jesus answers with this um, parable, and he, I guess really he's having a go at the people that want to do the least. 
And so he talks about the, Pharise- sorry, the, the priest. If you know the story, it's in Luke. Uh, if you don't know the story, it's in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 30 to 35. Basically, this guy's on his way down the road to Jericho. He gets beaten up by some bandits. He's left for dead on the side of the road. And some people come past, some religious people come past initially. Um, a Levite and a priest. And both of those guys, for whatever their reason, decide not to get involved. And so they carry on their merry way. And that's obviously wrong. Okay? But then a Samaritan, a, a person who in the culture of the day was despised, in our culture we might say, we might say in, a, in, a, in a Christian culture, we might talk about Jesus might have used possibly a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu person in this particular story saying that they did the right thing. And so basically a Samaritan comes along, the person who you wouldn't expect to do the will of God, but he does. He, he, he um, bandages this guy up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, looks after him for a day, makes sure he's all okay, and then he heads off down the road again, carrying on with what he needs to do, and he says to the innkeeper, look, I'll be back on the way back, and if there's any further cost, I'll fix him up for you. No worries. Okay, so that's the story as it stands in the Bible. But I was thinking about this in terms of many people's lives today, because I think most Christians understand the fact that we are to live sacrificial lives, that we are called to serve others and love others, and that you know, every person ultimately is our neighbour. I think we've got that. Um, so I've kind of just messed around with that parable a little bit, and I'm going to give you my version of it now. And maybe Jesus would even say it like this if he was alive today and addressing some of the things that we need to address in the church today. But I've called it the parable of the well-meaning Christian. And the first bit is as the same. You've got the Samaritan lying on the side, uh, sorry, the, the person lying on the side of the road. You've had the two other people walk past. It says, but a well-meaning Christian, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Exactly the same story so far. Then, neglecting the purpose of his trip, he put the man on his donkey and took him back to his house where he said he could stay until he felt he was ready to leave. And stay he did. This put tremendous pressure on the well-meaning Christian's already strained marriage and meant that his children, who he hardly ever got to play with anyway, had even more competition for his attention. But after all, it was the Christian thing to do. And he consoled himself for that thought when two years later his wife finally could take no more and left, taking the children with her. Six months later, the man he had rescued got angry and decided to leave because the quality of his meals had dropped off since the well-meaning Christian's wife had moved on. And as he left, the sad and frustrated but well-meaning Christian slammed the door behind him And said, good riddance. And the man who was leaving responded in a voice loud enough for all the neighbours to hear, call yourself a Christian. (laughs) I don't know if you can relate to that, but I deal with so many people who have that issue. It's not that they leave the people on the side of the road, it's that they want to help the people on the side of the road, but they just have no boundaries in place and they allow themselves to be walked all over. Their marriages suffer, their children suffer, their job, everything about their life suffers. And they end up bitter and twisted anyway, which is not a good witness. The people that they're helping often end up disrespecting them. And possibly God thinking, well, what, who you, what's that guy doing in your house for? So it might sound a little bit far-fetched, a little bit silly, that story, but I know a lot of people that live there. And we're talking about boundaries. You know, a lot of Christians... And again, I know many, most people in this place are Christians, but it's possibly part of our culture as well. 
But many people don't understand the difference between selfishness and stewardship. Selfishness is I couldn't be bothered. Stewardship is about remaining in a position to serve well. Both of them can look the same. Both of them can look like you don't care. You can be abused for, for both. They can look the same. Sometimes you've got to walk past someone. Sometimes you've got to let someone do something when you could actually help. But one is just being selfish and the other one is understanding something of your plans. Or sorry, God's plans and purposes for your life. And you recognise that some things you've got to walk past. You cannot help every person. All the problems in the world are not your fault. And the sooner we understand that, the better. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And there will be many people he would have walked past who were sick, who were needy. But Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. Man calls Zacchaeus living, uh, sorry, sitting up a tree, and Jesus calls him down. Obviously, the Father was at work in that guy's life. Many other people in the crowd, but Jesus calls Zacchaeus and goes to his house for lunch. And there are people in our world, lots of people clamming for our attention. But some God has called, some the Father is at work in, and we owe it to ourselves to be discerning and asking God and praying. You can't do this Christianity without a relationship with God. You can't do it without a devotional life. You can't do it without spend talking to God and asking him to lead and direct you. Otherwise, your good intentions will get you beaten up, burnt out, and frustrated. So stewardship is about remaining available enough to be able to help those who God is calling you to. It's about remaining healthy enough and motivated enough to be able to help those that God is calling us to help. Being healthy, being motivated, being available, they're all things that are vitally essential in order to go the extra mile. Some people just hear the extra mile bit and they ring themselves out, often wasting their time. I've got some friends who I love dearly, but I, I know that for me to chase them at this point in time would be to waste my time. And they would probably let me waste my time. They would probably have me out all the hours of, get me involved in a whole bunch of things. But I just know that there's no point in chasing them at this particular point. I'm not going to waste my time. It's a boundary I have in place. Every now and then I check up to see how they're doing and I kind of listen to see if God's at work yet, if the Father is doing something in their life. And thus far, I haven't really heard anything different than I've heard for the last 45 years. So we'll see what God does. But until that time, he's not going to get, or you know, people in that boat are not going to get the same sort of attention as, as you guys are going to get because God's called me into your world. The Samaritan in Jesus' story, if we come back to the story, he fulfilled his obligation in terms of being the neighbour, but he also carried on and did his thing that he was called to do. He didn't forget all his responsibilities. He might have been on a business trip. He might have been going to see family. It might have been a whole bunch, but he carried on with that task. This thing was a deviation, but it didn't stop him from achieving what God had called him to do that day or what he needed to do, what was part of his responsibility to do. Okay, and I think that's very, very important for us to understand. The more obvious our boundaries become to us and then to others, the sweeter our life is going to be. Remember, we're talking about a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. We just don't know where those boundaries are half the time. They're not defined enough. And so people walk over us. Good. Things that can help us then, because we're talking about developing our boundaries. Now we're talking about you know, building up the little wall, putting in the shrubs, letting people know what's ours and where they're welcome and where they're not. Okay, the things that we can do, we just need to tell people what our priorities are. You know, Tone mentioned before about people who don't go to parties on a Friday night, not because they're against parties, not because they're Christian fuddy-duddies or whatever, but because they have a part of their purpose in God, part of their, you know, why they're here on this planet 
is to minister to kids on a Friday night. And so that is a boundary they have in place. So when someone else says, will you come to my party? The boundary, the wall, the thing that says what's mine or, and what, where you're welcome, and it says no. Okay, just We let people know what our priorities are. It's unfair to not let people know and then get upset with them. We need to be strong enough to say, I do this, I don't do that. Young ladies, get in the car with some guy. He needs to know what you will and won't do. Hopefully more about what he won't do than what you will do. Okay, so that's one of the things we do is we, we tell people what is acceptable and what is not in, as far as we're concerned. We then demonstrate those priorities. It's no good saying one thing and then missing, you know, as a youth leader, missing youth every week because you've got all these party invitations. That, that's hypocrisy. That's ridiculous. Now, what we do needs to match up with what we say and more than that, it needs to match up consistently with what we say. Otherwise, we're teaching people to gamble. It's like, will he come this week or won't he? Let's ask him. Oh, I didn't. What about next week? Oh, I did. Okay, cool. So we're just teaching people to keep testing our boundaries. Whereas we stay firm about these things, they'll, they'll, learn, quicker, you know, they'll learn quickly that they're wasting their breath. Not, they don't have to be nasty about it. You know, Tony used the illustration recently about Geordie and a, and a party that she'd been invited to. Ultimately, if we, um, if we say no to things, we don't have to do it with attitude, but if we're just not available at certain times, if people really want us to be in their world and do the things that they're doing, they can adjust their lives. Because most people that want you in their world, they're not purpose-driven like you are as believers. They don't understand the things of God, and we're called to help them to see the plight that they're actually in. And that's why we do youth, and that's why we do all these other things. All right. Um, devotional time, think, you know, what are the things that we have boundaries at our devotional time? I remember, you know, ever since I can remember Dad becoming a Christian, every morning, just sits at his table, reads his Bible, gets out his little other little devotional book and... There's no negotiation on that. That's just something Dad does. It didn't matter what was going on. You know, we just knew that that's something we don't try and mess with. We don't try and get Dad to do something at that time. It's a challenge we've got with our own kids now. You know, and you sort of just got to, you just got to keep putting things in the because it's always when you pick up your Bible that the kids want you to come and fix something or play something or do something or you start screaming because they've banged their toe on something or whatever. And if we just always cave into that sort of stuff, well then no longer seems to be a priority in our life and it will keep happening. Family time. Again, for most of us, you know, I'm assuming that family is somewhere up there in our level of priorities. But if we continually say yes to our boss and no to our families, it's a boundary problem. We need to be able to say no to certain things in order that we can say yes to it. Remember, you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. If you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Are the things that we are saying no to the things that are the big rocks, as Mix talked about earlier, the things that are really important and really count in life, the significant things, because there's so many things out there that are insignificant in the bigger picture. I watched, some, I watched a show last night on TV, quite interesting, these guys that just, they were so passionate about steam trains, they went to Turkey to salvage these steam, the passion, the zeal, the sacrifice, it was inspiring to watch these guys. And, you know, they're saying, you know, like, wow, you know, I might get to see this thing restored before I die. I'm thinking, and then what? You've restored a train. Toot, toot. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate people like work with their hands, their sense of achievement, all that sort of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, 
We're going to stand before an almighty God. We're going to be accountable for the way that we treated our wives, how we brought up our kids. Did we fulfill the Great Commission? These are the things that God's going to be asking us. I said, well, I, I bought a train from Turkey to England. Do people know what your boundaries are? Have you developed your boundaries so they're obvious? And you know, even when you have developed your boundaries, when you're obvious, what you'll find is you need to defend your boundaries. You know, the difference between a visit and an invasion is one thing, permission. The difference between a a visit and an invasion is permission. And that can happen on a national scale, a la Hitler, and his hordes going to Poland or, you know, France, etc. But it can also happen in your life daily when people come into your world and they, they're walking all over you in places you don't want them to be. Because yes, you've got some boundaries in place, but they're ignorant or they don't care or they're, they've got an agenda or they feel that they can, you know, wear you down or whatever. And so our boundaries need to be defended. People don't always respect your boundaries or they're going to test your boundaries and see whether you're serious and all of those sorts of things. And so you will continue to get invitations to parties on Friday nights or you will continue to have people ask, you know, will you play this sport on Sunday or all the sorts of things that often are challenging for Christians and have to wrestle with. People are going to continue to do that. You know, and if you say no, what they will do then is they'll start to, they'll lob up just as you're about to leave for church. They'll lob up on your doorstep with food and wine and everything else. They say, let's have a party. And that's a test. You've got a defence, you've got to defend there. And you say, have a great party. You're welcome to use my house. Just leave it as you found it, but I'm going to church. You can come with me if you like. That's defending your boundaries, as opposed to just caving in and letting people walk all over you. Coming back to our story of the Samaritan, you know, there are some people who will, if you allow them to, they will walk all over you. Their lack of responsibility, their lack of understanding that their health depends on them, that their future depends on them, that their well-being and their financial security and all those sort of things depend on them. There are people who don't get that. And again, our society for the most part actually promotes that, sadly, for many people. But there are people who don't get that and they're going to come to you. And they're going to want you to take responsibility for their actions. And they're going to want you to bail them out of their financial problem. And they're going to want you to counsel them failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship. And that's fine, you can do that. But do you have a marriage you care about? Do you have kids who need feeding and clothing and all that sort of stuff? Because it's a choice. What you give here, you don't have to give there. I'm not talking about being selfish. I'm talking about do we have what we need in order to live the sort of life that is inspiring and encouraging and inspires faith and hope in other people? Or like most, you know, many people's perception of Christians is they're, they're miserable, they're dull, colourless, worn out, tedious people. And that's what we become if we allow ourselves to be used and abused in the things that aren't the will of God. So we need to say no. Or at least if we can't say no, because it's not a problem, it might be no and less. Yes, we can catch up. And yes, I will help you if you do this, or if you do that, the ball is now in your court. We're holding a person accountable. We're we're making them responsible again for their lives, not taking responsibility for them ourselves. Does that make sense? We might say, yes, okay, I can talk to you, 
about that. Relationship situation. Fifth one this week. (laughs) But I know what will happen if you come over to my house at 8 o'clock at night. You'll be there at 8 o'clock in the morning and I've got to get to work and all that. So so we've got to know people. We've got to exercise our wisdom. And so we might say, look, I'll catch you. I've got an hour. You can have an hour. We'll catch up for coffee and we'll just have a quick chat. Just make sure you're okay. You're not going to kill yourself or whatever. Don't want to be too flippant, but you know what I'm saying. I thank Tone for, for his... Uh, I'm pastor. I'm pastoral Pete, as you know. Um, I, would, I would allow that to happen to me. But I thank God for his leadership because he speaks into my life and he's helped me get some of those things in place. And that's why I'm still going. <laughs> Haven't burnt out, got, you know, wasted or whatever. Just because... Because there's healthy boundaries in my life, for the most part. Sometimes, you know, again, it's always can get a little bit blurry at times, but for the most part, not overrun. Don't be too quick to rescue people. We've got to help people be responsible for their own lives. People need to feel the consequences of their actions. You know, some people say, "If if you don't help me out, I won't eat tomorrow." Okay, don't eat tomorrow. I mean, you've got as much money as person X, Y, or Z did this week, but you've just blown yours because of this thing or that thing. And now you want that person who had as much money, now you want them to give some of their money to you, so you actually get more money than that. That doesn't sound fair to me. So people need to feel the consequences of their actions. Some people need to leave to get alone altogether. You say, look, I can't help you. You're not hurting enough yet you know Tony, Tony mentioned the um, I can't remember when it was but it was sometime today anyway so you may not have even heard it but you know the story of the um, the prodigal son you know the point was the father let the, the son go and do his thing wear himself out didn't chase him and sometimes we just got to let people wear us our hearts are bleeding for people we want to help them but the fact if we do, we can add, you know, we can give them a meal, we can give them some extra money, we can put them up in our house, or whatever, and we can extend their suffering by six months or six years or, because they ha- don't get to the end of themselves when they're supposed to. Because God in his love, wants, you know, he, he's created pain in people's lives to bring them to their senses. That's the point. Some people do need help. And we, where we do get involved is when people cannot help themselves. That's where it, we do need to help. But again, we don't need to do all the help ourselves. You know, some people are going to bring into your life more pain, more suffering, more trouble than you can deal with on your own. But as a church, perhaps we can deal with it. And again, as we ask for help, and we, you know, we're mindful of other people's boundaries as well. But there are things that you know, we can do together. And again, part of that enlisting help can be just making ourselves accountable, that we don't get too involved, or too engrossed in the situation at the expense of some of the things that really matter. So it's not about... Again, it can sound callous what I've just said, but we've got to remember it's not about avoiding our responsibilities to others. It's actually about fulfilling them. Jesus moved on from town to town. People didn't want him to go, would you? Jesus in your town is healing all your friends and family. He's just miracles are breaking out left, right, and center. It's an amazingly exciting time. And then Jesus wants to leave you guys and go somewhere else. I mean, I can understand that people wouldn't want him to go. But Jesus said, no, look, I've got other work to do. So he understood the greater responsibility that was on upon his life. And so he did something that people didn't want in order that he might be more effective. And sometimes that's what we've got to do. Jesus wasn't at his family's beck and call. He, they didn't get him. They thought he was callous and uncaring and all that sort of thing. But he, he loved his family. But he just loved the world as well. 
Don't let guilt trips, threats, steamrolling, any of that stuff defeat you. Just stand firm. Let your no be no. Let your yes be yes. When it's yes, let it be on your terms. Let it be the things that you're willing to give up. Because again, it's, you know, there are certain things you can get involved in. There are certain things you can do willingly. There's, you've got room in your life, hopefully, if you're wise, to be able to um, accommodate disasters here and there with people and help them out. But we need to be doing it willingly. We're not going to be begrudgingly. Because again, everything we do reflects on our God. And again, if we're miserable and worn out and testy and frustrated and angry, people think that's what God's like. And Jesus wasn't like that. So fourthly, delight in your boundaries. Delight in your boundaries. Boundaryless people end up injured, overrun, used up. I've said that. Their response is often, uh, uh, and the response then that happens is people build boundaries anyway. It's okay to live without boundaries for a season. You know, people think, I don't want boundaries. You can't tell me what to do. I'm a free person. I'll do what I like. The trouble is, what you reap from that sort of lifestyle is pain and lots of it. Hurt left, right, and center. And then what happens is people don't just build little fences anymore. They are building bunkers. They are building cities to keep people out. And, you know, keeping others out, keeping God out. We don't want to be there. Started by quoting David's words, Psalm 16, verse 5 to 6. It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Don't be put off by where God has placed your boundary lines. Delight in where he's drawn them for you. What I mean by that is we can compare other people's lives and they can be maybe more influential, they can be richer, they can be more seemingly significant and all that sort of stuff, but don't allow that to intimidate you because that's the boundary line that God has drawn for them. And God in his love determines where we're going to live and he determines what we're going to do and the level of sphere of influence we're going to have because he knows what we can handle and what we can't. And what another person might breeze through in life might kill you. And so let's just appreciate what we have. If we're married, let's love our husbands. Let's love our wives. If we have children, let's love them. If we're single, let's make the most of that time because it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time when you don't have some of the pressures that those who are married and have children do have. And so you can be very effective in that season for God. And if you're in the sweet spot, of, if you're in the will of God, it's a sweet spot in life. Don't stress about what you can't do, but make the most of what you can do. God matches your calling to your capacity. If you will employ healthy boundaries, you'll think about some of the things I've said. What is it that God's calling me to? And again, you don't answer these questions in two minutes of prayer tomorrow morning. But it's a, it's a gradual unfolding. As you read the Bible, the priorities of life become apparent. And then as you spend time praying... God, by His Spirit, begins to lead and direct your life. And so things begin to unfold to you. And if you are employing healthy boundaries and leaving room for God to move in your life, and you're leaving room to have a healthy and a happy marriage, and you're leaving room to invest into your children's lives rather than have to discipline them because you're never there, and when you are there, you know, they've run off the rails. Life can be sweet, life can be delightful. We will find if we will live within the boundaries of God. And the Bible says that 
God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And he said that we have all that we need for life and godliness. And I believe those two things connect if we have healthy boundaries. Because the energy that he's given us is on tap. The resources he's given us are available. They haven't been frittered away. They haven't been wasted through people who don't want to know, people who are just sponging off of you, or for things ultimately that are of no eternal significance. Again, I love sport. I love hobbies. I love, there's so many things out there that are good in and of themselves, but they just may not be best. And we need to continually try and discern what is best in our life. What has God called us to? What are we here for on this planet? And then, okay, this is what I've got. This is my time. This is my money. This is my relational capacity. This is my patience levels. This is all I've got. God can see it and multiply it, yes, but I've got to be wise. And so I've got that. What fits within what I've got? You can't just keep bringing stuff in. Now, if you just become a Christian recently, the bad news is, but it's really good news, is that some things in your life will have to go. If you want to make room for God, something's going to give. For you guys that want to get married, when you get married, some things are going to have to go. It's just a process of weeding things out and working things out. And I just trust by the grace of God what I've shared tonight is sitting in your hearts and that you're going to go away and think about this. I'm just going to pray that God will help us to decipher for us, for us here and now. We're not going to, you know, I'm not saying that you know, I know exactly everything God's got for the rest of my life. I'm just saying that based on what I do know, the Word of God, and, and what I know through prayer, and what I know through being submitted in a, in a church leadership and a part of a church, I know all that I need to know. And I can administrate that wisely by His grace. So Father... I just pray you'd help us to employ healthy boundaries. Lord, I pray that every one of us can say with honesty and integrity and and with the joy that backs it up that surely I have a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. May our marriages reflect the wise application of boundaries. May our parenting likewise. May our ministry for you, whatever that may look like, God, whether it's in the context of this church and within these four walls or whether it's going to work tomorrow God may we honour you with the way that we live may our lives not be bitter and twisted and shrunken but may they be full and flourishing Lord God and may they cause others to wonder and be inspired and hopeful that maybe one day they can have what we have in Jesus name Amen Thank you This is the end of the message Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.